Any other questions, guys? Thank you, guys. Appreciate it. Have a great night. Hey, what is going on? Welcome to episode number 640 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday. January the 14th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at WoodleySean. Find the show at Locked On Raptors. We can find links to every single episode of the podcast. And of course, please make sure you're checking out the Locked On Podcast Network where we have team-focused shows for all 30 NBA teams. We've got the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Show, which is covering all of your fantasy basketball news and notes. We've got the Locked On NBA Network, of course, covering all the teams around the league. We've got the Locked On NHL channel. If you are a hockey fan, the season's picking up. If you're a Maple Leafs fan, check out Locked On Leafs to hear all the reaction to the injury to Morgan Riley. You can listen to Locked On Bruins to hear about Brad Marchand missing the puck on a shootout attempt, all that good stuff. Please make sure you're subscribing, rating, and reviewing all the shows that you want to support on the network. It is very much appreciated. All right, on today's show, I am joined by our old pal Chris Manning, the host of or the co-host of the Locked On Cavs podcast. We back in the day when the Raptors and Cavs were, were good at the same time, used to chat all the time about the state of the Eastern Conference and all that good stuff. And I figured with it being about the halfway point of the season and the race for the two seed kind of shaping up to be the most important and fun storyline in the Eastern Conference over the remainder of the season, that'd be a good time to check in on the Eastern Conference with Chris, who has been observing the East from the basement, of course, covering the Cavs, who are 12 and 28 and not very good. But we chatted all about the sort of hierarchy from two to six in the Eastern Conference, the teams we think are the most legit, the teams we think are frauds, all of that good stuff. And I uh, hope you enjoy it. It was a lot of fun, and uh, we will get to it right now. Tomorrow on the podcast, just a note, uh, probably going to be another episode of the old Patreon podcast that I dropped. There's a lot of good stuff in there. I'll pick one of the fun ones out of there. Sort of a more historical thing as we uh, get that rolling for in the morning, most likely, so keep an eye out there. And, of course, the Thunder Raptors game on Wednesday night will be covered on Thursday's podcast, so keep an eye out for that, too. Marcus Gasol's back for that one. News came down this afternoon on Tuesday, so that's awesome. Very excited for that. And uh, the Raptors are nearing full health, just down Fred Van Vliet. And uh, I guess Dewan Hernandez is still here, too. But looking forward to seeing Marcus all back on the floor against the Thunder on Wednesday night. And we'll have that all covered for you here on the podcast, as always. All right, let's get to the conversation now. Myself, Chris Manning, the co-host of Locked On Cavs, talking all about the Eastern Conference, the trade deadline, the implications, the Raptors, where they fit all into it, Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love, as uh, and whether they could help any of these teams in the Eastern Conference via trade. Good stuff all around. Myself and Chris, hope you enjoy it. And we will talk to you next time with another episode of Locked On Raptors. Hey, what's up? Sean Woodley here from Locked On Raptors, joined by Chris Manning of Locked On Cavs for our first chat in a while, but it's a grand tradition that we have, Chris, where dating back to our days where the Raptors and Cavs were the toast of the East and we'd sort of take stock of the conference and the underlings below. Now it's sort of a bit of a different bag as uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers look up at the rest of the Eastern Conference. The Raptors are sandwiched somewhere in the the top middle portion of it and uh, things are quite different. But Chris, how are you, man? I'm doing good. You know, I'm having, uh, I remember we talked a couple times last year and I was just sort of over my whole existence um, <laughs> talking about the Cavs as you were en route to a title, which definitely very, very fun for you. It's the best experience you can have covering a team in any way. Um, but it's more fun this year. And it, I think the East in general is kind of like been kind of fun and frisky in a lot of ways this year that I wasn't expecting. And, and that's a good place for us to be at. 
Yeah, I think coming into the year, it was very much billed as a two-team conference with the Sixers and Bucks seeming to be pretty head and shoulders above everybody else. And I still think, you know, as much as the Sixers have struggled, and we'll get to this, obviously, as we sort of break down what it is sort of a really interesting race for the two-seed in the Eastern Conference, and I still think the Sixers are really scary, and they're a team I would want to avoid in the playoffs— it's become more like a six-team conference, really. Like, the, the two through six, you know, the Bucks are on their own sort of plane, but everybody else has been varying degrees of good in a lot of different kinds of ways, and some of it's been surprising, like the Celtics being able to get by without a center, and the Raptors being able to get by with all of their players injured, or the Pacers doing the same thing. And some of it's been kind of expected. I think a lot of people thought that he would be very annoying to play against and would win a lot of games just based on their annoyance, and that's what's happened. And the Sixers, I think most people thought, would have some struggles in the regular season to figure things out. And maybe the struggles have been so extreme that people are changing their sort of view of, of what that Sixers team might be capable of. But I, I don't know. So I'm wondering where the sort of the best way to start with this is. And maybe it is sort of that talk of the two seed, which is going to be, I think, the, the story that dominates the second half of the season. Even with Kyrie Irving back, I still think the Nets are pretty significantly worse than what the Pacers or Sixers or Raptors or whatever that potential six seed might be. And so the 2-7 matchup, not just for bracket purposes to get into the, the opposite side of the bracket as Milwaukee, but just to ensure an easier path through the first couple rounds of the postseason, I think is going to be incredibly important for any team that ends up getting it. And so, Chris, I guess let's start with this. What's the team in that two through six range where, you know, right now I think it's a five-game difference between the Celtics and the Sixers, uh, two to six right now, and, you know, lots can change. One crazy winning streak or one losing streak for one of these teams kind of uh, will we'll throw that whole race into flux. But assuming all six of these teams are in the running for that two seed, which of those teams do you think is the least likely to get it? And maybe we can kind of work our way up from there. It's it's funny the team I'm going to pick is also the team I picked in the preseason to make the finals at least, and it's not the pick I feel great about now, but I think it's Philly. Yeah. Um, I just like, just it just feels off to me. Like I get why they did what they did with getting Horford, and, and their, I, their, their talent's undeniable, um, but just that DNA of that team just like feels really weird to me. Um, it doesn't feel like things are like crystal clear about how it all is supposed to work. It doesn't feel like that group like sort of has everything sort of linear like you could argue the bucks are like a little too much like the first era lebron Cavs, where it's one guy and a bunch of guys and i for one cannot shake eric bledsoe being just, just absolute crap in the playoffs last year like out of my brain yeah. um i i can't warp that out of my brain until i see him play well in the playoffs this year i just can't do it but philly which is how debate mb being great and i'm a this is a i'm a pro ben simmons person and like I like Jeff Rich and I like a lot of the stuff on that team. Um, I just it just feels like broken, not broken, like because they're still going to win a lot of games and be good if they're healthy. But it just feels like they're going to be a team that if they make a finals run, it's going to be because they figure it all out at the end of the season and just bulldoze their way through the East. Other, but I don't think they're going to be. It doesn't feel like to me that they're not going to be in a pole position to have that two seed and have like a kind of a more easy way to getting to Milwaukee and then maybe making the finals. See, my whole Sixers thing is, and I, this might all be PTSD tied to the second round and the Raptors barely getting by them. I, I just think they're playoff built. I think they're built to play the Bucks in particular. Like, they have a lot of horses they can oh, throw at Giannis. And I think... 
eventually they're going to figure this thing out. There's too much talent there for them not to. I don't think they're the most likely to get the two seed, but I also think they're probably going to climb, and I think that 4-5 is going to become uh, extremely interesting, and I think there's a very real chance we get Sixers-Bucks as the second-round matchup, and that is sort of for all the marbles. And uh, like I would sort of pencil the, the Sixers in for like the fourth or fifth right now, considering it doesn't seem like they're going to figure out their struggles enough to rattle off like a ton of wins to make up the deficit they have in the loss column. But at the same time, I don't think they're going to go in some sort of death spiral where they're the very clear number six. And they're so talented and Embiid's so good. And Simmons is so good. Like people are very anti-Simmons. And I guess the three-point shooting is is fun to make fun of, but, like, outside of the three-point shooting, he's kind of a perfect player. Like, he's incredible defensively, he is excellent on the run, he's a great playmaker, like, all of those things are stuff you want. It's the shooting that's the one bugaboo, but people sort of inflate it to be this sort of damning reason why Ben Simmons is never going to win anything of substance, and I just don't think that's true. And I think the Sixers can yeah, figure this out. They almost figured it out to beat the eventual title winners last season and were an absolute monster to play against. And yes, they lost Jimmy Butler, but the way they replaced him, I kind of like. I like Al Horford being on this team. I like Josh Richardson. I like the way Tobias Harris has even played, even though he hasn't been terribly, you know, enthused. he hasn't made me terribly enthused in the past. I, I just think it's a well-constructed team that has yet to figure out exactly the reasons why it's well-constructed, if that makes sense, like, they're still working through that stuff, and so I think that's going to come. The team that I am least high on is the Miami Heat, and I I know they've been a great story. I know they're just an absolute pain in the ass to play against. I know Jimmy Butler's been amazing, but I also kind of look at them, and I... At some point, I'm waiting for all of the guys who look like problematic YouTubers to stop being good. Like, I'm... Like, they can't have... Duncan Robinson and Tyler Hero sort of carrying their offense for them at times, which is what's happened. And, and, and I just don't know if I buy that. And maybe that this won't manifest itself until the playoffs, but we've already seen them have some pretty crappy losses, uh, especially of late. They had that Knicks game that they let slip away. Uh, there, there have been a few games here where their, their late game offense kind of, you know, crumbles a little bit. And the fact that Jimmy Butler is shooting like 25% from three or whatever it is isn't helping matters much in terms of their spacing and their ability to create in the half court. And as good as Bam Adebayo is, I don't think he's ready to like be the you know Jokic of that team or anything like that where you can play inside out nonstop. And so I just kind of fear, if I'm a Heat fan, that, you know, the the, the try-hardiness of this team is eventually going to catch up with them and it's just going to be the only thing they have. And against really good opponents or even against not-so-good opponents where things get a little bit sticky in the half court, I just don't really think it's going to be something that they could survive. And, and like... Their numbers are not terribly impressive either. I mean, their net rating is only plus 3.4, 3.4, the number 10 in the league in net rating. Their defensive rating is sort of middle of the pack. It's 14th, which you would think the Miami Heat, like that's a team that's going to play defense. Their offense is going to struggle. They've been fine offensively. They're number eight right now. I just, their defense has not been nearly what you would want it to be if you're, if you're thinking about how this Heat team is going to survive in big games. And so I'm a little bit skeptical of them. I kind of think they're a little bit fraudulent in like, not that they're not a good team or that they won't give a team problems in the postseason, but, like, of all of the teams that I, you know, think could win a first-round series in the Eastern Conference, which is six teams, I-, I think they're probably the one I have the least confidence in to win it, even though, you know, I guess we have to wait and see what Oladipo looks like with the Pacers, who we'll get to in a second here, but I, I just, I'm not very sold on the Heat. Where are you at with Miami? I I kind of believe a little more, maybe, just because I, I think when I think about I've come to, after really witnessing a lot of Cavs just shenanigans, I've come to really believe in 
an organization that like knows what it's doing and like has a culture and like has that stuff that like sounds like sports writer or like team speak bullcrap but i do think some of it is very real i think what they're doing is just sort of banking on what they are and like i i do wonder too if that's a team that has like yes they don't have a ton of first round picks deal or um you know they want to keep cap space for 2021 or whatever but i do wonder if because you have like some they have some money they can move that's kind of in the right range if they could go do something i don't know what that is but I feel like that's a team that if there there is going to be a team in the East that makes some sort of wacky upgrade that we're not seeing, um, or like just kind of does something like what Toronto did last year and getting Marcus and just adding like a guy that really kind of makes the team's DNA work even better. I wonder if that's something that we see happen with them and that kind of elevates them. I, I should just say for, as my caveat is I agree with you that I think Philly's better in the playoffs, and but in terms of them, I would trust Miami a little bit more to maybe finish a little ahead in the standings and not. Um, Kind of, I think Philly just is going to be a weird team until they get there, and then I think Miami might be a little high, and then maybe they're the team I would say is like at most risk of, of losing in the first round unexpectedly. Yeah, the trade deadline thing is interesting, right? Because like, it's a weird season where it feels a little bit open, but also maybe the Bucks are inevitable just because of how good Giannis is, but then there's also, like you said, the Eric Bledsoe of it all in the back of your mind and thinking, hey, maybe there is a pathway here to... You know, do what the Raptors did to the Bucks last year for those four straight games, and sort of make the rest of the supporting cast win it for the Bucks. Which you know that might be a bit of a tricky proposition. So going into the deadline here, like yeah, the Heat probably have a trade to make for some sort of ball handling or a wing or something like that. But all of their trades kind of involve, like at least their trade machine ass trades, like they kind of involve one of. Dragic or Justice Winslow having to be involved, and both of those guys have been really useful for them this year, or at least Dragic has, Winslow's been hurt, but like, Winslow can be very useful for them, and you know, has proven that, I think he's probably part of their core going forward, alongside Bam and Jimmy and all those guys, so I don't really know how to you know, reckon with the sort of openness of it all, versus the, like, the inability for these teams to really trade something without, you know, having to give up something of, of substantial value, and also just, like, the weird trade market, where it doesn't seem like there are that many good players that that are even going to move, and, and so I kind of think all of these teams might end up standing pat, the Raptors, Celtics, Pacers, Heat, Sixers, like, I mean, I'm sure they'll make some minor moves on the, on the fringes, especially in the case of, like, Philly, they seem to do that every year, but I, I just feel like there's not a lot in the way of wiggle room for a lot of these teams. I don't know, is there a trade out there that you see that, that makes sense for at least one of these teams to help boost their stock? Or are you kind of with me and thinking that it's going to be a pretty quiet deadline and these teams are going to mostly remain as they are? Yeah, I think that it probably is more quiet than I'm, I'm guessing. But I just feel like Miami is a team that probably does just feel like they're going to try and do something. Um, they just, like, again, they just they have stuff that I don't know exactly how you move it. Like, if they could flip, if, if Pat Riley could get like anything for what has what is Dan Raiders right now, like how that would be like a, a net win for them. <laughs> um, you know, I wonder if they could upgrade their backup center position a little bit and like find a guy there that could come in and um, just help a little bit. You know, I wonder if Boston goes on again. I, I feel like to me, if there's two teams that would make a deal or have incentive to make a deal, I think Boston finding uh, maybe another big would be useful. Um, and then Philly, obviously, I think is just going to need guys in Miami be the third. Um, but the, again, I, I don't think the, any of these, none of these are probably like, I don't I think we're seeing like blockbusters. But again, last year, I don't know how you felt about it. But, you know, I, did, I wasn't sure that I loved the Gasol trick because I think Gasol is better than, than Jonas. Mm. And like the passing stuff for him really worked. But I wasn't sure that was going to tip them over the edge in some way and ended up doing it. So I guess 
we it's one of those things where like if they do 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 something and it's the right kind of calculus if that works out then that then it could happen but it, yeah, i think you're probably right that it is it is a weird market and you have so many teams that are not are trying to not mess up their books for 2021 like you're heading into a summer where if any i think of the most likely trades we're going to see are teams like the Cavs or teams like atlanta taking on money that people are trying to get off for the next couple of years in mm-hmm. exchange for draft capital and then those teams are going to have the kind of the ammo to do stuff going forward that that probably to me is the likeliest result of the trade deadline but maybe we do i think it would be i think it'd be fun i should say if one of these teams does try and do something that's like a little aggressive a little goofy and we just kind of need to see if it works out man i, I just like the heat with chris paul would be so like arduous to watch but also awesome and maybe the favorites yeah, in the east chris in my paul eyes for like uh like Dragic and Winslow or something. Yeah, he fucking rules. <laughs> and so I would love to see that. But Jimmy yeah, Jimmy would like be the most annoying duo. Oh, yeah. They'd just be scream- screaming in agreement at each other all the time. Uh, just about how like <laughs> annoying the refs and their teammates are and how their teammates don't try hard enough. It would be beautiful. Just disastrous, hot mess basketball. But they'd be really, really good. And so like... That's the whole thing is this whole 2021 thing. I mean, there are going to be teams and the Raptors are part of this team that's trying to save part of this group of teams that is trying to save money for that summer. There are going to be a lot of teams that are disappointed and maybe regret in hindsight not going in on it in a season like this or even next year where maybe the playing field is a little bit more open and, you know, the preeminent favorites coming in. The Clippers don't look terribly strong and the Lakers, you know, as good as they've been, still have some weaknesses that might be able to be exploited in the postseason. And Maybe some of these teams are going to look back and say, damn, like if we had made a trade that compromised our 2021 in the 2019-20 season and, it, you know, like maybe we could have won a title when, you know, we struck out in free agency instead. And so that's going to be a fascinating thing, I think, to look back on, especially with this season, considering how open things seem um, to uh-huh. pivot back towards some of the like the race for the two seed. So I think we've kind of, you think the Sixers are the least likely to get the two. I think the Heat probably are. How do you sort of rate the the rest of the teams sort of most likely to least likely to get that two seed? And then maybe a separate question is how scary do you think those teams are in the postseason? I think Boston's the team I feel best about because I think Brown and Tatum have taken leaps. I think Kemba is just a better fit for that group than Kyrie was. Uh, Gordon Hayward's been like more like Gordon Hayward than he was at any point last year when he's been healthy. Um, I think that's just like a solid team that's playing really well and is has young guys leaping kind of the right way and at the right time. Um, you know, I I feel Indiana is like interesting, but I have it just it just all depends on what Oladipo's quad looks like and and if that guy if he's if he's Oladipo, which doesn't feel super likely to me. Um, to, at least for this year, I think they could be really good. Brogdon's obviously been great. Sabonis has been great. Um, you know, they've, they've kind of that's a, that's just a well coached team. I think they could be dangerous. I think all these teams are sort of dangerous, but I think if, for me, it's like I would feel like if I was going to say who's left, I think Toronto. I love the Raptors. Um, I would go this if my guess in terms of seeding would probably be Boston. I have no idea the three. I feel like Philly's just going to be in the four or five. It just feels like right to me. Um, but in terms of like actual playoff quality, it's just I feel like it's Philly. It's still Philly, and Boston's probably my number three in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, and the other ones, I just I don't know. It's just like I feel like there's too many variables, especially with Indiana, for me to to sort of know what's going to happen there. But they they might be my last just because of the Oladipo factor. I'm like they don't have anyone that's as good as like Siakam or, or Jimmy Butler or anything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think 
for me, I am of the mind that, like, the Celtics, I think, are very legit. You're right. I, I think the, the Pacers are probably more in sort of the heat category where, like, annoying team, cute story, probably doesn't have the juice to win a playoff series. The Raptors are such, like, a weird mystery because we've seen them healthy for, like, five games this season, and they've been really, really good. Yes. In spite of that, they're number six in the league in net rating. Their defense is number two. Their offense, you would figure, is going to climb once they start getting these guys back. And breaking news on the podcast, Marcus Saul is back on Wednesday, baby, uh, which is very exciting news. Can't wait to, to watch him carve up the Oklahoma City Thunder in just typical Marcus Saul fashion. And then I'm looking at sort of the remaining strength of schedule, and the Raptors have just a cream puff schedule for the rest of the way. They have the Bucks three times, which is not awesome, but other than that, they have the number 27, sorry, even including that, they have the number 27 ranked uh, remaining schedule in terms of opponent winning percentage. They are, the, the only the Cavs, Sixers, and, and Hawks have easier schedules. Uh, by winning percentage of Cavs opponents. are coming back. Let's yes. Go. <laughs> uh, like, they're the only teams that have easier Playoffs, schedules. <laughs> Miami's also got the 26th uh, toughest schedule. But Boston's number eight. And Boston is still, I don't know. I, I'm still kind of un- unsure about Boston and sort of their playoff hardiness as well. I think Kemba Walker could be a defensive liability in the playoffs. I think the same goes for Gordon Hayward. I think their center position... Whatever they do, you know, Daniel Tice has been really good, and I think they kind of run the risk of almost doing the opposite of what the Raptors did with Marcus Gasol last year, where it's like maybe they trade for a more productive center and a guy who maybe has a bit more cachet to him, but maybe he kind of throws throws things off there. If they go get Andre Drummond, that could sort of screw up the, the mix there a little bit, and I'm curious to see if they would actually pull that off or if they go for some other sort of lower option, you know, Dwayne Dedman or something like that. Maybe that's someone they go for, but... Like the Celtics, I, I think, are good. I, I think they're going to fall back a little bit. Honestly, I, I think we could see all the East teams within, like, three or four games of each other, and it'll come down to, like, bizarro tiebreakers and stuff like that, uh, which is fun and should keep it really engaging down the stretch here because the seeding is going to be so, so important. Um, and so if I'm, like, ranking, it's probably, like, Boston, Toronto, Philly, Indiana Miami for me is sort of my prediction for the seeding. I think the Raptors stand a very good chance of getting the two though because of their schedule and because they're getting guys back and because they've been so good so far with all the injuries. I'll just sort of go and err on the side of the Celtics have sort of figured out this winning in the regular season thing when they don't hate each other and maybe they're they're, they're just destined to be the two seed, but I think it's going to be fascinating. I think it's going to be a really really close race. And I don't really know how to handicap it. And, and the trade deadline can very much change things. And, and like, I, I'm thinking myself, like, what do the Raptors do? Is there a move they can go and make to try to solidify themselves? Or is just getting healthy bodies back their quote-unquote deadline move? And they just roll with what they have and see what see what the mix looks like. It's all very interesting. And I'm very glad to have a regular season that matters quite a bit, it seems. Like, it, it feels like the East in recent years, it hasn't mattered a whole lot. It's kind of academic. This year it actually matters, and that's really fun. And, you know, people who are, like, wondering about the, the length of the regular season and whatnot and the engaging nature of the regular season and whether or not it's too long, like, this is stuff that's going to keep me entertained for the next three months, this race. And I think that is sort of what you have to pull from the regular season is these little races, and this is one of them that's uh, going to be pretty awesome. How big of a gap do you feel like there is between these five teams we've been talking about and the Bucks? Good question. I think... Between the Bucks and Sixers in a playoff series, it's probably not much, and I might even pick the Sixers to win it because of their personnel. I think 
over most of the other teams, it's pretty significant just because Giannis is so good and there's not really mm-hmm. a tailor-made way for any of these teams to stop him. Like, I don't think the Celtics stand a chance in hell of slowing him down uh, without Al Horford on the team anymore. You know, Marcus Smart is great and all, but man, there's there's just not much in the way of defensive talent there that has the sort of size and intelligence combination you need to stop Giannis. And so they're kind of out for me in, in a Bucks matchup. I think the Raptors, similar sort of thing. Like, I think OG is a pretty good Giannis defender, has been in the past, and they have bigs who can kind of hang a little bit too. But not having Kawhi, as it turns out, is going to make that matchup a little bit more difficult. And I just think the sort of inevitability of Giannis might come for them in that series, as much as I think it'd probably be a good series and a really fun one. And then, and I mean, Nick, Nur- Nick Nurse could maybe sort of throw some weird-ass defenses out there to throw the Bucks off and force the secondary cast to to win, which might be, you know, a way to go about it. But I still think there's a gap there. And then Miami and, and Indy, I don't think, really stand a chance against my, against Milwaukee or really any of these teams in a playoff series. Like, I think the only chance either of those teams has to make it to the second round is for them to play each other in the first round and then one of, one of the moves on. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I think for me with Milwaukee, I think, number one, Giannis is better than he was last year. I think he's unimpeachable. Um, that guy is the best player in the league right now, I think. Um, all my concerns with them are, like, on the peripheral of him because, like, you look at the rotation. We talked a little bit about Bledsoe. Like, again, just look up his playoff into last year, and it was just outright a disaster. Um, you know, I, I love Kyle Corver. A really fun interview for me when he's with the Cavs, like a good human being, um, a historically great shooter. You know, he's going to be out there on the. If he's out on the floor in the playoffs, teams were hunting him down three years ago. Is that going to is that going to drive him off the floor and negate some of the spacing they're getting? You know, can George Show keep this up? Um, and how does does Middleton look good? Just kind can Connaughton play in the playoffs? Like, I just have a decent amount of questions about them in the playoffs in terms of their non Giannis non. Um, you know, I think Brooke will be fine. I think all that stuff sort of works out. But I wonder just about the rest of that rotation. And Middleton, obviously, pretty good player. Um, I wonder if they have, like, the ability to go do something and just kind of bolster this in some way. I don't know if they quite have the assets. It's kind of a lacking market to some degree. But they would seem to me to have some incentive. But you don't want to obviously mess too much with that Boonels or DNA. Um, I don't really buy that, like, what he does doesn't work in the playoffs. That, to me, just seems like kind of a bit about, like, the rosters and a bit about... Like his Hawks team just played the Cavs and got shellacked because those Cavs teams were tailor made to beat those Hawks teams um, in terms of the personnel differences. So, but I do think, like, on paper, Milwaukee's going to have that one seed. And I think they're better than last year. Kirk Goldsberry had a piece of ESPN this week that, like, kind of emphasizes why there's a couple ways they are better than last year's version. But again, I think it, with, it's if Bledsoe is like he was last year in the playoffs, and he's been, like, pretty good this year um i've seen like some advanced metrics that have 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 him as like a top 25 player in the league this year um which is interesting but i need to see that not be like a complete disaster come playoff time yeah man the bledsoe thing hangs over it all and same with chris middleton i mean middleton had his moments against the raptors last year but he also had his bad moments where he looked kind of out of his depth as a number two and you know brooke lopez his shooting fell off a cliff after game one of that series and he was not the same player he was in the regular season that sort of drove their defense. And so, yeah, they're, they're by no means like an, an unassailable team, I don't think. And 
It's funny you mentioned Coach Bud. He's kind of the thing that gives me the most hope if I'm some team going up against him because he's so rigid and so unwilling to change things up and play Giannis 40 minutes like superstars are supposed to play and just seems to be so married to his ideals that anytime those are challenged or questioned, he just doesn't really seem to have an answer. And that is a thing that you got to keep in mind. And it's all tough because I don't know if any of the teams on talent alone right now as currently constructed in the East can beat this Bucks team and it kind of and that's another sort of layer to the trade deadline right is like is there a move out there for any of these teams that even makes it worth it and how scared are these teams of Milwaukee how worried are they, are they that they can't stop Giannis how intrigued are they by the Bledsoe failures in the postseason and the the, the Budenholzer questions and how much do those things hanging over everything make it worth it for them to go and make moves? It's all very fascinating. I don't really know how to handicap it. I, I think, you know, if I'm the Raptors in particular, to sort of skew it back to the teams we cover, although we haven't talked much Cavs, unfortunately. Uh, <laughs> but if, yeah, that's fine. yeah, uh, yeah, it's, this is your reprieve from talking Cavs, even though they're, uh, what, seven games out of the playoffs right now? They can do it. <laughs> <laughs> Look, they're actually they're actually fun this year. Um, they're not like they have more road wins this year already than they had all of last season. Um, they're not a total tire fire, so that I, I take my wins where I can get them. Yeah, um, but as far as like the Raptors go, in would, terms you trade, of, would you would would you want any of these teams to get Kevin Love? I guess is the question. Like, see, I don't that, think he. Tristan Thompson or someone like that. is there someone on the Cavs roster? Like maybe you're a big John Henson fan. Um, <laughs> But is there someone uh, among their veteran expirings that, like, you think could help one of these teams in, in an interesting way? People have floated love to Miami to me, and I don't know how I feel about that, but um, I, I, do any of these teams make sense as, like, a come get one of the Cavs veteran guys who could help a playoff team? Or do any of these teams make sense to you in that regard? Yeah, that's the interesting thing is because, like, of all the teams that have stuff to offer, it's probably the Cavs that have the most that could potentially change the – course of the eastern conference even just a little bit you know maybe not in terms of who wins it but who makes the conference finals perhaps and you know but i guess i guess i I think if the heat aren't making the move for chris paul then why would they make it for kevin love because i think that's a less obvious fit they already have a cluttered front court as it is they're already playing bam sort of at a position that he maybe should not be playing because he's kind of just the power forward next to myers leonard right now and he should maybe just play the center full time. And you know, maybe having Love makes that easier, and you can move Myers to the bench, and you can have a Love Bam front court where you hope that Bam can kind of cover up for some of Love's defensive misdeeds. But I don't know. Like again, if they're making a deal, they should probably just do the trade for the uh, like Chris Paul as opposed to Kevin Love if they're going to be tying up their salary long term. And so, like, Love seems like the guy who's the swing guy here, but it just doesn't feel like there's a team that could use him enough or where he'd fit in perfectly enough and fill enough of a void to really change the the complexion of the East all that much. Like, Boston doesn't really need him. He would just kind of be like a less playmaker-y version of Gordon Hayward just playing the power forward spot. You Like, the Raptors have Pascal Siakam. They don't need Kevin Love. Uh, they... And they're they're totally loaded in the front court. It's all good. There's just there's not really an obvious fit there. Like maybe the Sixers, if they wanted to get super weird and do like a Horford for Love trade and just like balance things out a little I, bit. I, but I, I'm out on that for the Cavs. Cavs yeah, don't, Cavs that, don't need that that in their life. No, that would not make any sense for Cleveland. That's the sort of other side of all these trades, right? It's like it has to make sense going both ways. 
Honestly, the one I want is love to Portland more than anything, just because I want to see them go all in yeah. on the most offensive, uh, the, the most offensive offense of all time, and the most offensive defense of all time as well. Uh, <laughs> just as a well, even if for them, it's like I think that's the one that always makes sense to me because um, even if this year doesn't work for them, you can talk yourself into a rejuvenated Nurkic next year, love Lillard and McCollum. If the league is still open-ish next year, like that's that's something you can talk yourself into. Um, so why not? You know, I think that, and I think that's a place you'd be happy to go. Like, I don't think if they flipped him like Indiana for like Myers Leonard or something like that, like I don't think he's going to be super thrilled about that. Um, I think that's one of the places he would be sort of happiest going. Um, I guess the name that if he were to become available, that I do think would help a couple teams in here. But I don't think he's. I think his trade number is a little high. And, I think he's not a buyout guy, despite what some people suggest. I think Tristan's been really good, and I think he really could help a team in the playoffs. But the number for him is is just a little high, and I don't think you're going to – even though he's an expiring and whatever, there's not just like a logical trade, I think, to make in that regard unless it's – unless the, like my, I guess he could go to Miami and make some sense, but um, I don't know if there's like an obvious kind of trade for Tristan Thompson. Yeah, like I, I know he's been floated out as like a Raptors potential target. I just don't know why. <laughs> like – they have Serge Ibaka and Marcus Gasol. Yeah. That's a really, really good tandem at center, and it helps them a lot. And they ha- offer different things. And once they get Gasol back, I mean, yeah, there's no need to go and get another $20 million center. It, it just uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And, uh, like, talk me into that. Like, what, 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 like, what does Tristan Thompson offer that the Serge Ibaka-Marcus Gasol pairing doesn't offer? Because I, I don't really get it at all. What I... What I would say is if he offers a team like Toronto or someone else anything, I think he's just – he's an insane offensive rebounder, and he's back to, like, doing it at a level that he was before he kind of looked washed in 2018 um, – or 2017, 18, excuse me, like that that end of that run where he was hurt, and then he wasn't playing, and then he played in, like, the regular season finale, and then everyone on Cavs Twitter was, like, very unsure about him playing in the playoffs, but he was pretty freaking good that whole playoff run. Um, He was good last year before he got hurt, and he's been, you know, a really – good contributor all year, a good locker room guy. I think he comes in, he provides offensive rebounding, switchability, um, some really good, I think some good defense, even though it's not like a rim protectory thing. And as a really good culture guy, like I do think he has the thing where he's going to come in and like he's going to help lead your locker room through some of this stuff. Though Toronto doesn't really need that. Like if a team to me that it would need him, and like I don't love, I don't want this for him because I it would be weird for everyone on Cavs Twitter, but it'd be like Boston would make a lot of sense for him. Yeah. Um, I could like really talk myself into that and be kind of leading those guys in a way. Um, you know, I think like Miami theater that can make some sense, but I think he could help someone to just the numbers really hard. And, you know, I also am like kind of more open to him staying in Cleveland too. But I think, I think if a team feels like it needs offensive rebounding, um, if they wanted to get off money in some way and, and also get a center, like if there's something like that, I think he could help teams. I think he's been really, really good this year. And it's just one of those like things that's gotten a little, lost because the Cavs are so weird and like have Kevin Love chucking balls at Jitty Osmond across the floor. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if the Raptors didn't already have the Ibaka Gasol pairing, maybe you could talk me into it, but I don't think their need for offensive rebounding is so dire that they would go and do that trade like a swap in Ibaka for a Thompson. It just seems like the spacing that Ibaka offers both with his mid-range game and his three-point uh, re- revival this season a little bit after being really down from outside last season, it just it doesn't make a lot of sense to, to sort of change up the mix that way and swap in those skills for, for Thompson's skills. 
Um, but yeah, the Boston one's cool. Uh, I, that would make a lot of sense. It's just Boston doesn't really have anything to trade. They they have weird salaries, nope. and it's like, all right, we're trading Hayward, I guess, if we're trading trading for anything substantial. So it, again, I think it's going to be a quiet deadline. I think we're probably going to see these teams remain mostly intact outside of some fringe additions, maybe. And it's going to make for a fun finish, man. And Chris, this was uh, this was a lot of fun, kind of going through it, talking through the stuff in the Eastern Conference. Uh, I'm glad we could give you a little bit of a reprieve from talking about the Cavaliers. <laughs> um, and uh, it's yeah. always it's always fun to catch up, dude. Yeah, no, it is, and it's it's going to be fun. It's very fun. Like I know for you, it's less fun, but no Giannis in the East, or no, sorry, no Kawhi in the East means this is, feels a little more. Like, I don't know who's going to clamp down Giannis kind of kind of thing. We'll see if, like, Embiid or Simmons or someone can do it. But, you know, that, 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 no, no, there's no, it doesn't feel like there's that put Kawhi and that guy move like there was for Nick Nurse last year. And I, I wonder if that ends up rearing its head in, in this way, too, in some way. Yeah, very well could. Uh, Chris, man, thanks so much for taking the time today. You can find both of our shows wherever you get your podcasts, Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, all the places that shows are available. Please make your, make sure you're subscribing to, rating, and reviewing Locked On Raptors and Locked On Cavs and all the other Locked On podcast uh, offerings that we have out there covering all of the big four sports and the NCAA. Chris, man, this was great. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Sean.